You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Tim Rice, and welcome to episode 53 of Get Onto My Cloud. Welcome to One Night in Bangkok. At the time of this podcast, January 2022, featured in many nights in Moscow. Почтенный скоро станет волнительных событий ареной В шахматном шоу невероятного масштаба Участвуют все, ну кроме группы АПА Как странно, кажется, вчера мы следили за шахматным матчем в Мирана Но если ваш класс игры выше обычного Вы едете на матч в места экзотичные В Исландию Или на Филиппин Или Гассингс Или этот город В ночном Бангкоке искушение только волю тайным грезам дай Сумей богиню отличить от Бога И вместе с ней шагни на самый край И узнаешь ты, каким бывает край Доска, пешки и фигуры для тебя куда важнее городской архитектуры Ты сидишь за доской и глаз не отрываешь И не видишь городов, на которых ты бываешь Ощупы! Достаточно увидеть один перенаселенный грязный вонючий город Друзья, вы имеете дело с туристом высокоморальным и нравственно чистым И у нас не принято бить ниже пояса В ночном Бангкоке непростые нравы Ты заблудиться здесь не будешь рад Попробуй пары отличить от храма И если что, успей шагнуть на Это шоу я предпочитаю всем парам и храмам и прелестям тая Слава богу, я сам не играю, а лишь наблюдаю Не думаю, что вы сумеете, ребята, оценить наше понимание мата И я могу представить едва ли, чтобы наши королевы вас как-то волновали Так что лучше возвращайтесь в свои бары и храмы и массаж 
Массажные салоны В ночном Бангкоке искушений много И только волю тайным грезам дать Сумей богиню отличить от Бога И вместе с ней шагни на самый край И узнаешь ты, каким бы One Night in Bangkok, sung by Alexander Kazmin and the Moscow Company of Chess, which opened there in October 2020, and is still going strong as I speak, or as I record, if you're listening to this in, say, 2030. As I'm sure I've said in these podcasts before, the musical I wrote in the early 80s with Bjorn Ulvaeus and Benny Anderson, Chess, has had by far the most complex history of any of the shows with which I've been connected. And all I wanted to do was to tell a straightforward story of a love affair between a Westerner and a Soviet in the time of the Cold War in the mid-70s, with an international chess tournament, the event that brought the lovers together. Since the release of the album in late 1984, which told this simple tale with staggering clarity, the piece has been altered and generally mucked around with in so many different ways. Songs added, songs discarded. Plot drastically changed. Spoken dialogue introduced, not just the odd line, but often what seemed like an entire play. Characters renamed or created from scratch, others mysteriously disappearing. The times and places of the story adjusted, even sometimes a different winner of the final climactic chess match. More often than not, this increased the theatrical show length of the whole enterprise well into overtime, causing trains to be missed and the seniors to drop off. I've always believed all musicals are ten minutes too long, and chess, in some incarnations, went way beyond that. It was as if the CIA or KGB had intervened, nobbling a few directors or producers to make sure the show put forward the correct point of view. Fortunately, we haven't yet had the fully-fledged woke brigade moving in, but it can only be a matter of time before we are denounced by the original cast. Of Harry Potter, that is, not of the estimable stars of the 1984 album Elaine Page, Murray Head, and Tommy Shawbay. Somehow, through all this chaos, the songs have survived, and there'd be one or two bonuses en route, notably the addition of what is now considered one of the best numbers in the show, Someone Else's Story. That song was originally written for the 1988 Broadway production, which turned out to be a confused commercial flop, running just for eight weeks, where Someone Else's Story was given to the character Florence Vassy, reflecting on the breakdown of her relationship with Freddie Trumper. Needless to say, in some subsequent productions, not all, the song's been delivered by the actress playing Svetlana Sergievsky, the wife of Florence's lover Anatoly. Luckily, it seems to work for both characters. Incidentally, the delightful Broadway cast, truly dedicated to chess, led by Judy Kuhn, Philip Kasnoff and David Carroll, reassembled to perform a sold-out benefit concert version at Carnegie Hall soon after the stage show closed. They all truly loved the piece, for which I am forever grateful. Anyway, the songs have survived because they are, bragging alert, pretty good, up there with the very best creations of Benny Anderson and Bjorn Albreas, and of the chap who wrote the words. By and large, 
By and large, incidentally, is a sailing term. By and large, I know that we got it at least 85% right first time out, that is, on the album, and how I regret stating in the album notes that chess is, quote, a work in progress, unquote. I said that at the time because nearly everything new needs some sort of adjustment or explanation for it to progress to stage or film. But I now think chess would have had a less traumatic dramatic life had we done no changes to the work, as per the 1984 recording. A few minor tweaks, yes, but the drastic surgery since imparted was a mistake and would have totally wrecked a show with a lesser score. I've also learnt in the last 40 years that too much explanation can be fatal. The more you explain, the more you need to explain. And of course, in many musicals, a lot of the lyrics are anyway rather hard to hear, however brilliant the performer, or indeed the bloke or lady operating the sound desk. And much of the impact of any piece of music, with or without vocals, is, and should be, emotional, as much as expositional. There is, of course, an argument for surtitles, as many operas in a foreign language enjoy. But I digress. At least I think I do. Chess, in its many, many differing interpretations, was first heard live in 1984, when we visited five European cities, London, Paris, Hamburg, Amsterdam and Stockholm, with the artists featured on the original recording, including the London Symphony Orchestra, the Ambrosian Singers and the ABBA Rock Rhythm Section. It went down a storm, and I don't recall many complaints about the allegedly confused storyline. The lover's story and the interference in the World Chess Championships by not-so-secret services of both East and West was pretty clear. Well, I got it anyway. The first theatrical presentation was in the West End of London in May 1986. The story of its rather painful progress from record to stage would take up two or three podcasts on its own, but suffice it to say here that the withdrawal of the original director Michael Bennett just weeks before the scheduled opening did not help matters. Sad to say, the reason for Michael's withdrawal was ill health, and he died in 1987. Trevor Nunn stepped in and did a magnificent job getting the show up and running against heavy odds. The reviews were reasonably good, and although the show came nowhere near joining the ranks of the seemingly ever-running Cats and Les Mis, both of which Trevor had directed, it ran for a healthy two and a half years and made a small profit for its investors. But it was clearly a hybrid, a not always satisfactory combination of the ideas of two brilliant directors, and all involved agreed that for Broadway, Trevor should start again with the creative team and ideas that he would choose. The Broadway show, however, did not work, which would take several podcasts to analyse, which I have no wish to go into here. It had, however, very little in common with the structure of the album or of the London show, and coinciding with the rapid evaporation of the Cold War, the new prominence of Glasnost and Perestroika, its political relevance was stuffed in spades, despite the excellence of the performers and other creative contributors. Now, 40 years on, chess can satisfactorily be seen as an historical drama, even though some would say the Cold War has returned, maybe, but it's a different ballgame now. New York City may have said yet to chess, but this fortunately proved to be the exception rather than the rule. Throughout the 80s and the 90s, and continuing into the 21st century, there were literally dozens, if not hundreds, of productions of chess, great and small, around the globe. During the finals of the 1989 Chess World Cup, there were concert versions in Skelleftia, northern Sweden. There was a seven-month-long tour of the United States in 1990. 
That year, it also opened in Australia in the hands of one of my favorite directors, Jim Sharman, who had co-created the Rocky Horror Show and also directed the record-breaking London run of Jesus Christ Superstar in the 1970s. In the mid-90s, Chess in Concert, as per the album version, toured Sweden. There were new productions in Los Angeles and a major tour of the UK. Then a Danish tour, in English, directed by Strictly Come Dancing's Craig Revel Horwood. There was a highly successful Swedish theatrical presentation in Stockholm, in Swedish, that ran for two years, and the first Italian tour. I didn't see that one. I did see the excellent Hungarian version that played Budapest in 2010. Since then, I've seen the show in Prague, in Czech, and in Hanover, Germany, where much of the plot was shifted to New York City. My German was not quite up to finding out why. It's also been to Holland, Japan, New Zealand, and Canada in recent years. Craig Revel Horwood helmed a second UK tour for the best part of a year. There have been many new US versions, large and small, including quite recently at the Kennedy Center, Washington, D.C. Then there was a good run back in the West End in 2018 at the London Coliseum, starring Michael Ball, Cassidy Jansen, Alexandra Burke, Philip Brown, Cedric Neal, and Tim Hauer, plus countless schools and repertory versions around the world. So, all in all, despite innumerable mishandlings and cock-ups, sometimes the fault of the creators, or at least of this creator, Chess has more than held its own on the stages of the world. And we plan to come back to Broadway one day fairly soon. A team is in place. And above all, I'd love there to be a movie version. The Queen's Gambit has shown how well that could work. But much of all this, of course, has been clobbered by COVID. As I speak, I'm optimistic that the theatre world will get back to something approaching the good old days, which is good news for the good old shows and, more important, will open the doors for great new shows. But one production of Chess seems to have been immune to the pandemic, and that is in Moscow.
Anastasia Stotskaya as Florence, and Anna Guchenkova as Svetlana with I Know Him So Well. I've not yet seen the Russian version of chess, which is frustrating, as it's been a great success. In February 2020, just before travel became a nightmare and masks the fashion accessory nobody sane enjoys, I went to Moscow to meet the creative team and cast of our proposed Russian show. Bearing in mind the musical's plot, it was particularly exciting to see how the Russians would react to the portrayal of the global politics of the 1970s. It does appear that the audience reaction has been extremely favourable and that the producers, led by Dmitry Bogachev, have done a great job. I truly hope that Bjorn, Benny and I will be able to see it sometime this year. We last visited Moscow together in 1983 and I don't think we even dreamt then that it would one day play to enthusiastic Muscovite theatre-goers. Russian celebrities such as Anatoly Karpov and Alla Pugacheva have enthused and supported the Moscow show, which opened in October 2020 and is still going strong. It's big out there. Trains on the Moscow underground have been decorated with chess posters and memorabilia. Anatoly Karpov, whom I first met in 1981 in Murano when he beat Viktor Korchnoi for the world title and met again in 2020, is a major fan and recently sent me a beautiful chess set. In return, I sent him the Jesus Christ Superstar 50th Anniversary Box Set album. So I hope he's still a fan. If, no, when I get to see the Moscow show, I shall report back in a future edition of Get On To My Cloud. In the meantime, I'm genuinely moved by the thought that an idea I had about a Cold War musical when the Cold War was still at its height has triumphed in Moscow. After all, the musical tradition of Russia in all its many guises has been the equal of any other in the world. And if our modest show featuring Russian characters can make a friendly impact in the land that gave us Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Prokofiev, Shostakovich, who praised Andrew's music in Superstar, and countless more musical titans, it's enough that we got this far. 
Over to Alexander Sukhanov and what I should have called the International Anthem. Тем злым безумцам, что страну пропасть завели, не отнять сердце и душу у моей земли. И нет и равных, ведь ничем не ограждена раньше всех наций was episode 53 of Get Onto My Cloud, the podcast written and presented by me, Tim Rice, and produced with skill and care by Peter Hobbs. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. 
part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 